The Revision Speaker Series is a Guildhouse initiative bringing together creative minds from around the globe to discuss contemporary arts practice. Revision has been curated as a COVID response, enhancing connectivity, sustainability and well-being across the arts community. This podcast is an audio recording from a live Zoom session recorded on Ghana Country. Thank you all for joining us today. My name is Emma Fay and I'm the CEO of Guildhouse. I acknowledge all First Nations people present at this talk, listening or watching the recording. I am very pleased to welcome you to this evening's event. It's an absolute highlight of our revision winter season um, of our speaker sessions. This series of conversations is aimed at increasing connectivity during this ever-evolving time of disconnect and to offer an opportunity for artists to increase their well-being, to find new models of sustainability for their practice. Tonight and tomorrow night, you'll hear our esteemed speakers reflect on the topic, Remodelling Our Future. Conversations with curators, writers, artists and arts leaders will investigate how an industry finds momentum and can collectively shape change. And so it's my absolute great pleasure to introduce you to our panel members and our speakers for our in-conversation tonight, Mami Katayoka and Rana Devonport. Mami Katayoka is the director of Mori Art Museum, Japan, and has a long and illustrious career as a leader in the arts with a strong presence in the international art scene, including her current roles as chair of CMAM, the International Committee for Museums and Collections of Modern Art, and artistic director of the 2022 Aichi Triennial. Many of our listeners might also recall Mami's curatorial presence in Australia for the 2018 Sydney Biennale Superposition. Rana Devonport is, a, is the Director of the Art Gallery of South Australia and has worked very closely with Guildhouse on a number of initiatives. Welcome, Rana. Rana was appointed as an officer of the New Zealand Order of Merit in 2018, acknowledging her dedication and leadership within the arts. Rana is a curator, writer and cultural producer whose career spans senior positions within art museums, biennales and arts festivals predominantly within the Asia and Pacific regions. Rana is also on the CMAM board, and I know it's been a really active group over this past year, and we will dive into that fairly shortly. We're really excited to host this conversation with you both, and it's an opportunity to extend some of the public and global engagements fostered by CMAM. Rana and Mami, I'd like to express my thanks to you both for this session and hand over to you, and so that you can share your philosophies and approaches to leading international contemporary art museums and reflections on emergent curatorial models in the sector. Over to you, Rana. Thank you, Emma, uh, and welcome to everybody that uh, has joined us this evening. And a special warm welcome to you, Mami. Uh, wonderful Thank to you. connect again as always. Uh, firstly, I want to honour the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains on whose land I, I stand uh, and uh, honour their ancestors uh, and uh, in particular their deep and abiding connection with country. So. Great opportunity to talk, Mami. We are in constant communication on many topics and, uh, and uh, we were just speaking before about how uh, with CMAM, which is the uh, International Committee for uh, Museums and Collections of, of Modern Art, Modern and Contemporary Art, and uh, how that year has changed dramatically. And we'll come to that in a moment. We're going to talk about some three things for about half an hour. Uh, and uh, three topics and then open up for questions. Firstly, we're going to think about uh, international leadership, uh, the urgencies, the, the situations that, um, that we're all uh, immersed in at the moment and those very radical changes 
that are taking place around us. Secondly, looking at um, international networks and how they can help, how they can support, how they can inspire. And lastly, curatorial innovation. And I really want to acknowledge, Mami, you're uh, amongst that um, extraordinary exhibition you've just curated, Another Energy, uh, which... Um, so for the, for before we sort of launch into those topics, I just thought it would be uh, int very interesting for our audience tonight to hear about your situation. You've only just reopened again after another closure and your exhibition opened and then had to close and now it's reopened again. <laughs> so if you'd like to talk a little about the situation in Tokyo right now, yeah. 51 and 52 stories in that tower, the Mori Tower above Tokyo. Thank you. Prana, and also thank you for the invitation tonight. Yeah, Mori Art Museum, we had to close last year from, uh, from February to July. So we literally closed for five months. Then uh, we did uh, one exhibition for the stars to really introduce <clears throat> Japanese contemporary sort of superstars, including Nara, Murakami, and Stama, which was originally planned for the uh, postponed Tokyo Olympic. So uh, we were having the star exhibition at quite odd time. Then we had to close for after New Year from January to April, which was our third wave of the COVID. But uh, <clears throat> that was the planned closure for our uh, refurbishment. Then uh, we finally opened end of uh, April, April 22nd, with this exhibition that Rana just mentioned for the Another Energy, Power to Continue Challenging, 16 women artists from around the world. So we are showing 16 women artists whose ages are between 71 and 106. Then uh, we have Robin White from New Zealand. And um, yeah, they all have uh, over 50 years of career. And uh, this is a reflection of this sort of recent international uh, movement or trend of uh, those women artists who had been overlooked for so many years, had been uh, re-evaluated in the last 10 years or so. And uh, there's so many women like that throughout the world. So we just wanted to focus on selected uh, 16 so that each artist could have enough space to really introduce their practices. And we opened that show for three days, and then another closure came. So then we closed, um, yeah, over the month. Then uh, there was an interesting conflict between National Government Agency for Culture Affairs and the Tokyo Metropolitan Government, like a governor. And National Government said museum can be open with a limited time. And then after receiving that uh, guideline, different regional cities could make their own final decision. Then Tokyo governor decided that museum cannot open, but somehow she said theaters can open, but not the film theater. There's some confusion and there was a huge argument. Then uh, I discussed a lot with those people from the Tokyo Metropolitan Government. Then finally, yeah, we could open just yesterday. <laughs> Congrats. Uh, one of the uh, one of the very useful documents I think that CMAM has produced in the last year is a document that literally says why should museums remain open and operational. And um, going back to that, you were just saying, Mami, that uh, you've actually used that in your argument with government. 
And I'll just sort of refer to the topics that were discussed. And and the basis of that was um, interviews and surveys with um, many participants in CMAM. And um, the priorities were the one, museums are safe spaces, the scale of exhibition spaces, temperature, air controls, as well as crowd management makes museums some of the safest public spaces. Museums are established very clear protocols and guidelines to enable both staff and visitors to remain safe in the museum and workspace. Two, museums are an essential service, and this is something I think we've all been thinking about in terms of essential and non-essential and how vitally important museums are in individual and collective well-being. Third, museums are drivers for economic recovery, and we're not going to go down that path tonight of the value of economic economic impact of museums, but of course it's extraordinary. And cultural tourism, of course, pre-COVID was the the most expansive area of of tourism increase. Number four, museums can act collectively. And I think this is a very interesting one to offer a common position and voice, to be stronger, to stand collectively, to push forward our voice, to support each other. And I just have to say the, the, the programming at um, most of the state art museums in Australia would not have been possible without a very significant increase in the level of support that we've all been giving each other with exhibitions. You know, for example, the Claris Beckett, all the loans from other state galleries. We've lent a tremendous number of works to other galleries around the country. And I think that this sort of collegial and collective spirit moving forward is something that uh, that is, is palpable and, and very heartening. Fifth, museums can adapt. We've all adapted so responsibly and 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 uh, in so many ways to the to the new environments that we're existing in, and also the importance of museums maintaining dialogue with government. And as you just mentioning, Mami, that you know even when a situation of of um, municipal and uh, national governments not seeing on the same page, um, in the interview that went out to many of the uh, museum directors, one of the questions was what would you say is the future of museums? And I thought I'd just read that out, just a couple of lines, and then over to you, Mami, in terms of where international leadership uh, in museology sits at the moment. So the question was, what would you say is the future of art museums? And my response was, since the first museum was arguably founded by the Mesopotamian princess and priestess in Agaldi Nana 2,500 years ago in the city of Ur in today's southern Iraq, the socially-minded, idea-generating, object-focused vortices of cultural activity have continued to morph as they've lurched from being locales of passive absorption of knowledge to being discursive fora for new ideas and generative sites for the social imagination. If art museums are to continue to in their most relevant and vital form, how they must know where they are and who they are connecting with. They must listen hard to artists, be immensely curious and provide active platforms for new research, making and ideas. These trajectories should ensure a vital and open future for museums. So I'm just really interested um, in given, you know, what you've experienced and also your consideration of uh, curatorial practice as well as museum leadership, Mami, and, uh, and, and, and also that idea too about listening hard to artists. So over to you. I think, the, I think it's been very important time for all of us, the museum practitioners last year to really come together 
and question what is the essential role of the museum. And just as um, Rana said, that how museum could be socially minded and how we can try to be connected with the social political condition of our surroundings, but also the whole global situation. And uh, one thing we could uh, say is something that happened uh, like Black Lives, Lives Matter. And uh, it really sort of arose the awareness to those, the race issue and the really long sort of gender issue and all of these have been discussed for so many years. And uh, uh, yeah, I did some research when I was doing a Sydney Biennale that uh, second Sydney Biennale in 1976 was already discussing about uh, indigenous issue and then also gender issue. And uh, it seems like we're still on the same page, but are somehow sort of circulating the same place. But at the same time, now we are all globally connected really well. So uh, this wave of uh, Black Lives Matter, and then also uh, Me Too movement since 2017, came over to Japan. And uh, maybe you might have heard that a former Japanese Olympic Committee chair said something about the women in the sort of the, the looking down the women's position. So uh, normally probably Japanese society had been sort of set back and uh, so polite that they, they didn't probably raise their voices. But this time we were not quiet and silent. And then we spoke up and they ended up that he resigned and also new uh, chair came, like a new women chair came in. So that was a major change. And those changes has to be reflected in the museum practices as well. It's a natural reflection or re response to the museum. And then I think the museum, future museum has to be continued to be like that when the whole world is so uh, complex and uh, intermingled with their own political historical issues. But at the same time, there's so many things that we can uh, discuss together and find a solution and also help each other. And thinking, you know, and I think in a lot of ways, um, Black Lives Matter, you know, 25th of May last year really has been as equally impactful as um, as the pandemic. And, you know, and certainly 77% drop in museum visitation last year. There was 230 million the year before and only 54 last year. But also with Black Lives Matter and, um, and the shifts and changes and particularly thinking about those concepts of, you know, idea, inclusion, diversity, equity, mm -hmm. accessibility, and also this idea of thinking about world building, how museums can actually contribute to uh, the discussion about worlds can, where worlds can exist. I was part of a discussion recently and academic Sarah Rifke talked about every artwork is a school, how, you know, every individual artwork can, can manifest itself with the question and, um, and, uh, that it couldn't generate. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is, is thinking about shared compassion, empathy, kindness, and slow looking, and that need for responsiveness. You know, Edouard Glissant talks about in the museum is uh, thinking about the archipelago of worldliness and difference. And, and maybe if we just move uh, to what CMAM you were mentioning, that uh, this CMAM board are probably, you know, meeting more often than any other board uh, through various reasons and I'm working with the sustainability group and also the museum watch and just thinking 
that in this really challenging time, there's been a lot of changes with, particularly in Australia with universities and how a lot of the museums are really struggling in those contexts. And there's been a lot of morphing of um, museums' roles and a lot of instability. And right now, the Wellington City Gallery is facing a really difficult time of a of uh, both the uh, the director and the senior curator, their positions are di- disestablished. And I know that uh, with the Museum Watch is participating as, a, as an advocate in that context. So how have you found, you know, as the lead, not only of, you know, one of the most interesting um, contemporary art museums in the world, but also your role as Seaman Mami, there's many other subcommittees. And can you talk about what the surprises have been and, and how, the last year has um, evolved into a different place? I have been sort of uh, observing the whole activity of CIMAM because uh, we have like such a great colleague in the board members, including you, Rana, and uh, we have sustainability working working group and then also how to uh, find a connection with ICOM and uh, how to find the best practices at the museum around the world and so many different, and also museum work. There's so many different uh, working groups and the 15 board members are part of at least two or three working groups. And they have their own sort of uh, autonomy in a way that they they can have sort of intimate discussion among five, six members. But uh, every month, every two months maybe, we meet as a board meeting and this uh, Zoom system, online meeting system, made it really possible for all of us from really around the world to meet regularly and discuss. And actually before pandemic, the board member of the CIMAM only happened three times a year. One is part of the annual conference. So uh, at the time of uh, Hong Kong at Basel and then also maybe uh, Venice Biennale and then uh, November annual conference. So now we, I feel that we're much closer and uh, we are more intimate in the way that we have different branches and discussions that are always cut sharing with the rest of the board. So I think the system is running really well and people think the present is really busy, but it actually I'm sort of observing the whole great activities and just trying to connect everyone when it's necessary. But otherwise, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's not only uh, uh, most hardworking board, board members, but also most probably engaged with uh, individual issues. And something like Museum Watch, it's so necessary around the time like this, that so many uh, problems uh, diverted from COVID-19 and all other things. But it's so difficult for museum practitioners to try to solve those issues on our own, what with one single director or museum. But it has to come from a uh, relevance from global voices. And uh, CIMAM is the global voice. And it is really connecting over 500 members. And uh, the only thing that we can find is that there is no right answer that CIMAM has. But rather, it's you find that you're not alone to be facing through these difficulties. And I think that is the, the greatest beauty of CIMAM. One of the uh, things that is has been um, interesting last year is the little book, The Future of Museums, 28 Dialogues, that Andres Santo um, it, it interviewed 28 museum directors. And I found it really inspirational to be finding out about museums that exist in 
so many places in the world, particularly um, South, South America and Africa, where uh, people have been radical and, uh, and very vulnerable, I suppose, in how they've approached the idea of what museums can be. And I think um, this, this, we're now entering a time of, that, um, of, of great potential in terms of museological practice. I'm thinking about um, how, and, and Victoria Northen, who used one of, is one of your curatorial advisors for Aichi, and how when they were faced with closures uh, and in her work at the Museo Moderno in Buenos Aires, she actually commissioned 200 artists working in theatre, literature, visual arts, music and film to make online projects, which reached 6 million people over a six-month period. And so, as she said, working at enormous velocity to respond to our diverse communities. And I think that's sort of the expanded practice, you know, um, moving beyond what is known and what is comfortable into unknown territory, I think, is something that, um, that is very exciting moving forward. Now, thinking about uh, curatorial innovation, so, uh, and, and Unji Ju, who is also one of your curatorial advisors, uh, and she talked about recently about the notion of the past, the present, the possible. And I thought that was a kind of a lovely rubric to think about curatorial practice. Um, so you've mentioned a little about another energy and the fabulous, you know, Carmen Herrera, who just had her birthday a couple of days ago, astonishing painter, but you're the, uh, the curator for the AHE Triennial in 2022 called Still Alive, and you're taking a very different approach to curating a large-scale international survey exhibition of contemporary art. So can you, you speak to that, Mami, because you have a, a wonderful family of like-minded souls that you're, you've gathered around you to embark upon this curatorial journey. Yeah, I think uh, one of the reasons that I, I decided to accept that offer was because of the COVID. And uh, when I did uh, Sydney in 2018, I was traveling myself throughout the world, except South America and uh, Africa, um, because my principal had been ready to meet the artist in person at the studio or wherever they are working so that I can sort of understand the whole environment of uh, including a climate and also history and, and society and everything and what sort of ground these works are being produced. That was my main focus. So this time I have to go totally opposite so that I don't go to the, um, I don't go to the physical sort of research, which I don't have that time probably now, even I could be travel. So I decided to uh, ask the, all those curators who I have seen their biennales and exhibitions, and I really admire and, and the respect from around the world. And to ask, um, by asking them to uh, submit to uh, uh, re recommend around the 20 artists from the region. And then I'm making a selection of maybe four or five artists. And it's been just simply so great, including Rana and uh, Victoria and Unji and all those people. I have beautiful more than 300 artist lists in, in front of me without physically traveling. But also it was surprising to see how many great artists are around the world, which I have no idea. And so I decided to uh, sort of work more with the artists that I don't know. It's easy for artistic director to just 
start listing up all the artists of your favorite where you have worked with so that you can assure the quality of work and everything. And I thought about listing up all my artists and it was easily beyond 100. So uh, no, 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 I can already imagine what kind of Biennale or Trinale it's going to be. It's not so interesting to me. I want to meet unknown artists and a new finding, new learning. So uh, yeah, now I have one of the sort of pre preliminary lists of uh, different locations. And I thought it's really possible, even after COVID, that we work together instead of wanting to curate our artistic director, try to be a champion of the whole five continent. And not every Biennalis or analysis is enough budget even for artistic director to travel around the world and also the time. So uh, it's most effective way to do a world survey. And yeah, I think uh, it's, quite interesting after thinking about that system and actually doing it is a great one. Hmm. And also Mori is uh, trying to hire a jump curator who doesn't have to live in Tokyo. And then I was also speaking with um, Francis Morris at Tate and they are also considering few adjunct curator who lives in different parts of the world. And actually it's more important to have for us someone living in Europe and always constantly looking around what is happening in Europe and sharing the information instead of someone from Europe living in Tokyo. That was the same experience that I had when I was working at Hayward Gallery in London, that I was constantly expecting something from Asia. But if I am in London, I kind of lose the contact with the on time what, what is happening. So this model of sort of curatorial advisors or adjunct curator model could be something really useful in the future while not traveling, but still try to be internationally connected for museum practice. And you've entitled the uh, triennial Still Alive, which, you know, it has many connotations, of course, given the year we've <laughs> all had. But um, can you talk a little more about uh, the concept? Yes, of course. I'm kind of, um, how do you say, I was invited as kind of like a firefighter uh, since last time in 2019. There was a huge fire at, around the IT Trenale and um, many local people thought that uh, contemporary art is something really risky and difficult and uh, uh, we shouldn't really touch. And some of my, my friends who are being a teacher in local IT schools, then the teachers, didn't tell students to go to the trainale because it's not good for the education and children. So there was something wrong with this understanding of what is the uh, contemporary art is all about. So uh, I wanted to really bring back the pride of our IT people by uh, looking into the most in, one of the most important conceptual artists from IT, uh, On Kawara, who has this series of telegram called uh, I Am Still Alive that he sent out these short messages from 1970s to 2000 and almost uh, 900 telegrams that he sent out. And this simple phrase, I am still alive, is something that probably we shared for last year, sending your friends, are you okay? How is the COVID in your, in your country? Or oh, I'm surviving, I'm still alive. So being alive, ensure that your friends are alive is so important in the last year. So uh, 
Yeah, borrowing that idea of I am still alive, I think just still alive. Huh. And thinking about idea of still alive, if you think history, then something could be still alive now. But also if we, if we think of the future, then something might be still alive in the future. And so it's really uh, looking into the principal idea of uh, time and space. And as Rana quoted uh, what Bunji said, it's a simple time frame of a past present. And the future is so important. It's probably too simple, but uh, this is something that we are all thinking about. Mm. And then also to think about uh, our given time as a much longer time frame. So Onkawara has 100 million years books that people start reading out aloud. And yeah, I know Onkawara for so many years, like so many people. And uh, But somehow after COVID, his work started to speak to me again very strongly. So those changes of our perception is also quite important. And Rana also recommended such a beautiful list of artists. It's hard to choose. That's <laughs> very sweet. And, well, the artists are the ones that are, are the shining lights. But you you made a really interesting comment, I thought, Mami, and I know we, I'm ha- going to hand over to you in a second, Emma, we're, to, for the questions. But um, Mami made a really interesting comment because, you know, I've lived and worked in Japan and I know it's 99% monocultural in Japan. And, um, you know, it's a very, very different environment. And just thinking about artistic practice here in Australia, um, not only um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander practice, but, um, you know, the extraordinary number of, of artists who were born elsewhere. And, uh, and you made the comment, Mami, that it's like Australia is, is a microcosm of the entire world. Yeah. You yeah. look at artistic practice taking place in this country, you're actually connecting with the entire world which, you know, only someone not living here would have that perspective, I think. On that note, Emma, it's probably a good time to hand over to you. I know that's gone really fast. (laughs) It's gone really fast. Thank you so much, both of you. I've got so many things I'd like to ask, and I know that other people will be mulling on their questions. Um, Rana, I actually also wanted wanted to ask you, it's been wonderful to hear Mummy's reflections on curatorial innovation with the H.E. Trail. It sounds so incredibly, I love this idea of adjunct. Uh, curators and this idea of the advisors and I I love the idea that you're going to glean more by having people in those places in those countries but Rana is there other examples that you have um, reflected on over the course of the last 12 months through the CMAM network and actually brought to bear in in Australia through the Art Gallery of South Australia? Well, certainly, I think the the recent example, Clara Speckett, that I know a lot of your um, your guests who were with us tonight might have seen and I think thinking about the kind of experience that people want now, and particularly about slow looking, and I know I mentioned that at the beginning of the discussion, but also how spaces can can offer something, you know, the, the shared space of looking, but also, also the shared space of thinking and, and certainly recalibration. I mean, we're all, you know, thinking about decolonizing museums and indigenizing collections, but also recalibrating what uh, the uh, art historical canons and um, and and giving attention in a different way and shining a light on uh, on our histories and and uh, and the complexity and I think for those curators who are working with collections how those collections can still be 
re-energize. And I, I love how mommy is talking about on Kawara. You know, you think you know an artist, but everything can look different and and how how those artists can shift and change as the environment changes. So I think, you know, bringing in, in, in a lot of ways, I mean, that exhibition would not have happened without COVID in some ways, you know, because the, the energy that we've put into it, the fact that we've been starved for 10 weeks away from the museum, the, the, the level of craftsmanship and, our, you know, our artisan workers and how they gave everything of themselves to that project. And, you know, with the uh, Simone Slattery, the musician who is normally in Europe at this time, was able to, you know, create a soundscape in the space. And, you know, even in the, on the last day, and, you know, we, we received more than double the numbers we expected. And even on the last day, walking through the spaces, I always say goodbye to the exhibition. And um, you could have heard a pin drop, you know, there was an air of reverent rapture that one doesn't often see. And, uh, and, and how museums can offer um, our soul such nurturing at this time um, was um, inspirational and, and inspiring. And also going deep, going deep into a collection, going deep into our own research and our um, knowledge and giving you know, curators and most importantly artists the platform to reconceptualize the world around them and, and our past. Thank you so much. I was really curious. I would love to unpack a little bit further about the CMAM Museum Watch subgroup. And I mean, it's a, it sounds like it's a very powerful group of people that you have in that collective board. And I, I was just reflecting on that example of what's happening in Wellington at the moment. And I am a bit curious about what kind of uh, sort of without sounding too dramatic, like what subterfuge is happening, what things may be happening because of COVID or at, at, under the guise of COVID and, um, and how this... Uh, this group, CMAM, but also other groups within the arts are you know, forging collective voices and, and how we're shifting the dial and bringing attention to things. So I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind, Rana, if you're on that subgroup, sharing a little bit about how that group is mobilising on issues like this. I think I might hand over to Mami. And um, and in, in the case of with, with uh, the Wellington City Gallery, um, there's a really great advocacy group that are working out of Wellington to to bring awareness and uh, and and then it's 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 my understanding is you know with Museum Watch it's monitoring situations and working out how uh, advocacy might be able to make a difference. So, but I think over to you, um, Mami, to talk more about mm -hmm. Museum Watch. Yes, I just uh, shared the link to the Museum Watch page of the CMAM on chat so everyone can see it. But uh, there have been quite a few things that we kind of advocated through the, the channel. One is, for instance, in Mexico, that are most of the museums are funded by the government, but they have been uh, cutting the budget for 50% since a few years. And then after COVID, they cut 75% of the museum operational budget. So uh, they are kind of hired still but uh, they cannot even think about programming something new. And uh, also some of the very important uh, museum directors have been politically dismissed. And those cases are quite often happening. Mm -hmm. So the CIMAM is the only voice that we can sort of internationally send a letter to the uh, head of the municipal government or uh, uh, Minister of the Culture, that we that just to tell them that we are watching, mm. and uh, 
then uh, we are delivering these international voices. Then even one of the uh, museum uh, director who was fired sort of came back to the position after some months. Mm. So uh, we are really making, yeah, really some records of uh, doing something and uh, making things change. It's so important that we have these collective voices um, and, uh, you know, there's advocacy and agency runs at multiple levels and um, I'm reflecting, I'm thinking a little bit about the Sydney Biennale that you curated, Mummy, and the the commentary that I've heard you speak about that particular exhibition around complex ecosystems and knowing how each of our organisations and our collectives understand our purpose but also understand how we can work together and that more collective organism sort of sense to affect greater change. I have a couple, a couple of questions popping in from Jane. Mami, I'm very excited to look up your latest exhibition, Exhibiting Mature Women Artists, and want to thank you personally for placing us in the spotlight. The question there is, you know, is the exhibition online? And just a comment there about quite often the young artists are the ones in the limelight, which is understandable, but it's wonderful to see mature, established female artists celebrated at this level. Yeah, actually, women artists uh, of the longer career is really under spotlight. There's so many artists like that getting the first uh, retrospective in the major museums in the last 10 years. And uh, I did some walkthrough on our Instagram account. So if you could go to a Moriart Museum Instagram account, and uh, there are a couple English tours that we made, I made this week and last week. So uh, you can have a look. And uh, you have to be confident about what you have done. And uh, all those women artists, they're quite interesting to see that one of the reasons why we we called it another energy is that they are passionate and full of energy, but that energy doesn't go to sort of um, competition with other artists or try to be on a superstar on this sort of hierarchical uh, contemporary art field. But rather, I think uh, it's energy goes to yourself and uh, they had been uh, just pursuing their curiosity and questioning the meaning of uh, sculpture and all this artistic uh, exploration. And some are, of course, like Suzanne Lacey, have been an important figure to look into that, the development of feminism and, and also mm-hmm. all these uh, social issues, but not all. So uh, we were also trying to be avoiding that when one makes a women show, it often really becomes about the women, about uh, sexuality, women's body, but we want it to be also away from it, but not completely sort of denying it. Well, yes, absolutely. I think that's the territory that needs to be charted, which I'm, you know, I'm, I will absolutely be looking at those uh, Instagram walkthroughs. I've got a question here. Um, Inika would love to ask a question if we're able to release Inika's mic. And uh, and also just wanted to add to what mm. you Mame, and, you know, I remember seeing a terrific exhibition um, at the Pompidou uh, of Women Artists uh, a couple of years ago and also, you know, the number, you know, with Hilma of Klimt and Eileen mm. Agar and uh, recently, you know, um, Artemisia Gentileschi in London. You know, there's so many terrific exhibitions of women artists happening around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but But also we've got a long way to go, you know, and the most Googled artists in 2020 there was only two women artists um, that were still absolutely in the minority, Frida Kahlo and Artemisia Gentileschi, so, which was really interesting and in how that has brought awareness of, of that artist. But also just to make um, reference to the fact that the, uh, last week the Louvre uh, pre- new president 
once a woman, first time since 1793 when the Louvre was um, initiated. So this needs to happen on all levels. It's not um, it's not only having women in these positions, but thinking about diversity with boards and uh, and also thinking about uh, art, artistic practice and uh, providing those platforms for artists too. I might just actually that I, I want to move to another question from someone else, but I wouldn't mind seeding that as a question to come back to is. Um, in terms of what the future is asking from um, global contemporary art museums, are we looking for a different sort of leader? Does leader look has it, has, does it have a different shape and form in this new era? So we might come back to that a little bit further. I know we've touched on that a little bit. But, Inika, would you like to jump in now? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, thanks, Mami and Rana. Um, that's been really great to listen to. I think this kind of leads on from the point you were just saying there, Emma, but... Um, I'm just picking up on a number of things that have been said about, you know, moving into unknown territory, working more with artists that you don't know, the, you know, really listening to artists. Um, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm coming from the artist perspective in all of this. Um, for me, a lot of the, the sort of common thread in all of that is the role of risk. And I'm just interested as to how you're both thinking about um, the role of risk and the and the museum in today's context because it seems like there's sort of been a, a renewed democratization of museums and um, around the world following you know sort of particularly the past 12 to 24 months um, and, and how a breaking down of those barriers between artists and curators in the institutions um, allows for, for perhaps even more risk to be taken. Absolutely and I think you know, the projects that I've worked on that have been most powerful and most uh, world-shifting in terms of perspective and learnings have always been those projects that are massively risky and and have um, taken the museum into spaces of vulnerability and unknown territory. And I think it, it is, as you say, Mami, you know, you can rattle off 100 artists and, and you know, know what you're getting. Of course, it'll be different, but but I think, and, and in a way, um, Emma, thinking about the question you're asking as well, you know, of what's important and thinking about empathy, vulnerability, curiosity uh, and research. And I think, you know, risk is also asking those questions and, and actually be, not being afraid of doubt, not being afraid of not knowing the answer. And, and I think, you know, artworks are are. are portals to questions and uh, do take us in places we we didn't know existed so we're here because of artists museums exist because of artists so I think always artists will lead us to those questions that we may not even know we need to ask. Hmm. I also think that uh, particularly after COVID it's so important to communicate really well in-depth conversation even over Zoom, that with artists and also uh, other supporters, like with everybody, that are even within the museums, among staff, that are because we don't physically meet, then uh, these online conversations, it's harder to sort of read your facial sort of emotion and all this uh, uh, physical sort of uh, energy. So uh, yeah, I'm asking my staff to try to communicate at least 10% more than you used to. Okay. And uh, even with the email, don't make very simple like lines. You have to explain the context, why you're asking this and what would you like to know and all of this. And uh, I think that level of care matters in the end, particularly in these kind of times. 
And that's one of the ways to sort of challenging the risk, but also avoiding unnecessary risk. And well, in some respects, I read from that, you know, minimising the harmful risks and maximising the creative risks, you know, that there, you know, that care is at the centre of that, I think is a really beautiful sentiment. Reflecting on even your appointment as the president of CMAM Mami in 2019, you're the first non-European president to be appointed. We've talked in in a couple of contexts in this this conversation, we've talked about firsts and some big shifts. and, And I think this is a little bit about what I was getting to around the new face of leadership. How has that felt for you and how, what has that meant for the, I guess, the, the focus or the locus of, um, of control, if you like, around how can the contemporary art museums are thinking about the global phenomenon and where we sit? I think, um, yeah, I have been a lot of our first. Like I was first Asian artistic director for Sydney Biennale after mm-hmm. 43 years. Um, but I think uh, those things didn't happen because of myself. It happened because it was already the time for that. So, for instance, CIMAM had been changing from 1962, its inauguration to now, and we are celebrating 60th anniversary next year. And over the course of the time, it really started from as a sort of museum director's uh, friendship group among uh, European and North American museum director boys. And, uh, but it's, it's not that kind of group anymore for a long time. Mm. It has been such a global gathering and having uh, long-term directors, but also new generation of young directors from uh, non-Western regions and such a mixed uh, group. So uh, it was just about the time, even overdue, to have someone not from Europe. I and I think it was the same for Sydney Biennale. That was really about the time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Any closing remarks from you, Rana, or any other questions that you would like to pose before I wrap up? Sure. I mean, Mami, you mentioned about going back to Onkawara and re- renegotiating him in a different way. Can you share information about an artist, a Japanese artist, who has come to your attention over the last year that you're really uh, excited about just as a little kind of... Mm window into uh, artistic practice in Japan right now, which was all fascinating. Yeah, I was uh, I was looking at the artist like uh, Meiro Koizumi, who is the great, uh, I write it down. Thank yeah, you. you can look up his name, but he is a great the artist who works with the video and then also uh, VR and new technology. But he's very, very good at sort of, excavating human emotion in really from the bottom, like in depth. Mm. And normally or oftentimes he uses the non-professional actors and actresses in that storytelling and then asks them to act as the emotion shift from acting to actual emotion from the bottom of the heart. So those kind of the in-depth practices becoming something touches people's mind in this kind of condition. And maybe not non, non-Japanese, but uh, the artist like a Wolfgang Life, who uses the flower pollen, who's very well known already, but uh, thinking about the vulnerability of human life and then all kinds of life, then looking at his flower pollen piece and then also milkstone, and uh, bee wax sculpture, all of these 
materials and substance that is going to form new life in the future. Starting to look so beautiful. I introduced this work to one of the TV program in Japan that's just talking about how the way we look at art really changed after COVID. So uh, that was uh, my recommendation for that program. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I am going to just, I don't want this conversation to end. I feel like I could ask you a thousand questions and we could keep going and I'll be uh, keeping a much closer eye on the CMAM website and bulletins because I think that there's a lot going on that I'm you know, very intrigued by as would many of our guests here. But I would like to thank you all for joining us today and it has been an absolute delight. Thank you so much, Mami. Thank you so much, Rana. It's been a really wonderful conversation and I hope you all have a beautiful evening. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Revision podcast series recorded on Ghana Country. This series is brought to you by Guildhouse, our supporting partners and session speakers. Please head to our website guildhouse.org.au for more information on the series and our artistic collaborations with and professional development opportunities for Australian artists. Revision was developed with support from Australia Council for the Arts, the Day Family Foundation and Creative Partnerships Australia and has continued through the generous philanthropic support of the Guildhouse Creative Visionaries.